0: Welcome to Tiger Talk, the podcast for Mercy High School in Middletown, Connecticut, where we talk about everything Mercy, including students, faculty and staff, alumni, and leaders in our community. Learn more about Mercy High School at our website, mercyhigh.com. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to our latest Tiger Talk podcast, Today, we are very fortunate to have joining us the mayor of Middletown, uh, Mr. Ben Florsheim. Mayor, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks for having me. Very uh, excited for the conversation.
0: Great. Thank you. And we also have uh, with us a few of our Mercy students. And so, uh, Elena, would you mind introducing yourself?
2: Sure. Um, my name is Elena Cahill. I'm a senior at Mercy Um, I take the AP government class, and I'm very uh, excited to be a part of this conversation. Excellent. Thank you, Elena. And hi, Jocelyn.
3: Hi, um, my name is Jocelyn. I'm a senior at Mercy, and I also take AP government and politics, and I'm so excited to be asking you questions and just discuss topics that are hot right
0: now. And Lily, we're so happy that you could join us as well. Would you mind uh, introducing yourself to our podcast listeners? Hi, I'm Lily Harris. Um, Mayor Florsheim, uh, you have had a, a great path to becoming mayor. And so, with starting with being a student at Wesleyan, so what got you interested in becoming a mayor?
1: You know, it's, there's a long version and a short version, uh, and I'll and I'll try to give a reasonable version. And it really, I mean, my interest in politics started around the time that I was an AP government student. Um, I was taking AP Gov as a high schooler uh, right around the same time of the 2008 presidential election. And I followed that very closely. I had always been sort of vaguely interested in national issues and politics. Uh, I had sort of a debate and, you know, I was interested in that type of thing. And so I developed a little bit more of an interest as I was sort of learning about it in the classroom and as it was happening in the country in this big sort of dramatic way with that presidential election. You know, little did we know how dramatic presidential elections indeed were to become in the, in the years to follow. But uh, after that election was over um, and President Obama took office, I was I sort of realized, uh, I think, in part, again from what I was learning in the classroom, that there was a lot more to government um, than the presidency. Uh, even though that's how a lot of people think about it, is that it's a you know one election every four years for one office, and that's sort of the most important thing. And and there's there's a lot more to it. Um, and we saw how important the role of Congress and the role of states and the role of local government were during that those Obama years and and in the years since. Um, and so I started following what was going on in Congress and. Following what was going on in the legislative front. And that just sort of got me more interested in being involved um, and, and learning more because to me it really was sort of about, you know, that I had issues that I cared about um, then that sort of are still a through line to the issues that are most important to me now. Um, and I understood government and I understood politics as a way to try to make a difference in some of those things. So you know, I kept uh, being involved and in working on, on campaigns. I arrived at and planning to, to do sort of a liberal artsy d- interdisciplinary uh, uh, major that had a focus in government, but also on history and economics, uh, you know, sort of trying to tie all these fields together, which I thought was really important because I think you need that sort of broad base to understand how these different factors in our society interact with one another and really behave and affect people's lives. Um, and so it was sort of a continuation of my experience in high school, which was I was doing the the sort of scholarly work, quote unquote, in the, in the classroom setting, and then trying to get the practical knowledge by being involved in local politics, by trying to learn about how things happened at the local level, uh, by volunteering and working on campaigns. And that is what I think, kind of brought me to to where I ended up. I I worked after college in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate, for a few years. Um, I I was in Washington very briefly and then spent about five years um, in Connecticut in the office of Senator Chris Murphy, doing a lot of work that was kind of at the intersection of it. You know, I was working for a federal office, but... I was in the state, you know, focused on trying to build relationships with state and local leaders about what they needed from the national government and from Senator Murphy's office. And through that experience, I really developed this this affinity, particularly for local government, because that's where I could see things really were getting meaningfully done. Um, and and that uh, that was. Partially due to a, a, unusual climate in, in Washington, um, where things were not getting done, and I think that that's sort of that's that was sort of an interesting thing to try to reconcile with my AP Gov education is. We learn that these systems are supposed to work, you know, or have come to work in a certain way. And, you know, we have all, I think all of us spent the last decade or so living through history, We're living through U.S. government history for, for better and for worse um, in, in a variety of ways. And, you know, the, the upshot of that for me working in the Senate was being frustrated a lot of the time. And and Senator Murphy was frustrated a lot of the time with the pace and, and inability to get the meaningful things that we all cared about really done. Um, But I saw that that's what was happening at the local level, not on the same scale, but in a way that really had a lot of meaning for residents' lives. And that was really appealing and exciting to me. And so the opportunity came to seek this office uh, last year, um, and there were a lot of people who believed in the issues that we were talking about, um, but uh, that is sort of what drew me to local government and and to the position that I am lucky enough now to have uh, in the first place, and has been what has kept me kept me at it uh, over the course of a, of a challenging last uh, year or so.
0: That's really interesting. Thank you for that that summary. I'm wondering, Elena, Jocelyn, and Lily, if any of you are interested in public office too, just thinking about what Mayor Florsheim said, how things kind of started uh, percolating for him while he was a student in AP government. So just, just curious about that.
2: I am interested generally, I don't think um, as a career path, but I, I am I am very interested. I've actually had a couple interviews. I spoke with um Congressman Larson as well as Senator Murphy and I think it was uh, really interesting. I spoke with their panels, not with them personally, but it is very interesting.
0: Jocelyn or Lily, any any interest there in a political, you know, kind of political office or do you, or are you thinking more about just kind of government and in more general public policy type thing? Yes, I definitely would consider it for a career path. That's great. So I know um, you just mentioned Mayor Florsheim that the past year has been um, challenging and I think we all know why because of this you know pandemic that has basically upended every component of our, of our lives. And I know Elena, you actually had some specific questions around COVID for the mayor. I was wondering if you could you could ask him about those.
2: So I didn't think we could really sit down and have like a little talk without bringing up the uh, elephant in the room. So um, I wanted to address, you know, it's no secret that the pandemic has proved to be both an economic and humane challenge. But in addition to that, it's also been a psychological stressor. Uh, I was wondering if you could say one thing to the citizens of Middletown individually, like advice or maybe even motivation in terms of resilience. What would you say?
1: You I mean, the word resilience has come up a lot. Um, and I think it, it's it's one that our chamber in particular has used our Chamber of Commerce in Middletown to describe the business community here throughout this pandemic. and and I think it applies to our our residents um, and our community. As well, and and if I were to say one thing, honestly, I think it would be thank you (laughs) for for your resilience, uh, for just for demonstrating resilience and and for demonstrating patience and compassion um, with one another and with the situation that we all find ourselves in. Because we, despite how much of a struggle it's been, I think have time and again really done a good job in Middletown um, of managing an unmanageable. Situation, and I'm and I'm grateful for that because I don't and I don't think that that happens by accident, and I don't think that it happens in places where you know we use the word community now to just just sort of describe almost everything. It feels like, um, but it, it, there's something meaningful to that word, and there is substance to it. A city is is not inherently a community unless that spirit is there, and I really think that we are lucky in Middletown to have people in city government. Who understand that spirit and understand what that's all about. And we have people who live here who understand what that's about. And the story of this pandemic has been one of just sort of constant uncertainty and change. A lot of what we all took for granted, um, you know, our our ability to travel freely and go wherever we want, our ability to socialize with whoever we want to socialize with, you know, what we do in our own homes, all of those have been sort of taken from us as inherent. Uh, you know, they, they, are, they are no longer something that we, that we take for granted in, in the way that we did before this set in. That's meant the government has had to ask a lot of people in terms of how they change their behavior, how they change their lives. It's also been uncertainty in terms of we don't know what the next day is going to bring. And I was just talking earlier with some of my staff about the vaccination clinics and how I think on the one hand, you know, Middletown, the Middletown Health Department itself is one of the vaccination providers along with our health providers in town, like Community Health Center and, and Middlesex Hospital. I think the, the health department is doing and has been working with Mercy and, and with our with our other schools on administering the vaccine. And so we were talking about just the trials and tribulations of getting that distribution right. You know, there were some bumps in the road um, at the local level in the first few days. There continue, I think, to be bumps in the road with things like the state's sort of software platform that they have been using to sign people up. And our biggest challenge as a state and as a country and as a community is just the supply, is making sure that we have enough doses to, to get into people's arms. We think that we've gotten Set up pretty good. Um, you know, we we were very proactive about getting people signed up um, in advance, um, so that we would have waiting lists, and people would know as soon as it was available uh, that they could come and make an appointment. But we were talking about this in the context of this sort of uncertainty and confusion around the vaccine is nothing new, because this has been been the story all along. Um, it was not that long ago that Dr. Fauci and the Surgeon General and every public health expert that you could care to consult were saying, don't wear masks, don't worry about it. That's not gonna be effective in, in helping to prevent the transmission of this, of this virus couple weeks later it was a complete 180 from that and you know we had to be the ones at the local level trying to explain that to people um and and get people to to go along with it and to sort of roll with the punches same was true when we were first starting to get testing same was true you know when it came to even shaking hands and social distancing you know when we can remember when that when that term first entered the, the lexicon and so you know the metaphor that we we've been using a lot in the city is that we're we're building this plane um, as we learn to fly it. And that's still the case. And I think that the saving grace is that the people in Middletown have stepped up, even even when it's been frustrating to deal with that, have have understood that we are living in unprecedented times, that we are in uncharted waters, and that the best thing that they can do is to just try to help your neighbor and to do what you can to make all of us who are struggling get through this a little bit easier. And so you know my one thing that i would say is thank you for demonstrating that compassion and and that spirit of community um and please keep bearing with us you know for as we get through what i think is going to be one of the hardest periods um of the pandemic but also we're in one of the most hopeful ones now too i think we can start we can all start start to see the light at the end of the tunnel and if we just keep that same spirit in place for a few more months we are we are going to be able to see that light pretty clearly i think
0: for sure i know what uh... Obviously, you know, COVID management is something that we're doing at Mercy, well, daily. Uh, and, but then another big issue that I know we're also talking about, I know that the city is too, is around diversity and equity and inclusion. And I I know Jocelyn has a a particular question um, also for the mayor.
3: Yes, so for years now, America has been talking about racial injustices and inequality, but especially over the past year, there has been a rise of social movements talking about those things. So I just wanna know like with today's political climate, how would you say Middletown is ensuring a safe, welcoming and inclusive community for people of color, different cultures and ethnicities?
1: Thank you for that question. I think we've been handling it well relative to many other communities, um, and I think that that has started by acknowledging that historically we have not handled it all that well, and that that's not different from many other places. But I think that Middletown, I'm really proud of the fact that we, again, as a united community, um, as a city, uh, in, in through you know official channels, have acknowledged that. We have a fraught history when it comes to racial justice, um, that Middletown was a part of the international slave trade, uh, and we have marked the site. Uh, Our historical society has undertook an amazing project a couple of years ago to document Middletown's history with the slave trade and to mark the key sites in town uh, where that is part of our legacy i think that we have uh you know had intense conversations in in recent years over what the the racial climate presently in in Middletown looks like uh for good and for ill we have had a public debate you know recently over the naming of another educational facility in town our new middle school which is under construction that which is repl- it's replacing two schools one of which is named for Woodrow Wilson, um, who uh, you know, whose whose legacy has come under a lot of new scrutiny in in recent years, for, for his you know efforts to resegregate the federal government, his personal views on race. You know, we had had a middle school named after him previously, a high school named after him in Middletown for many many years because he was a visiting professor at Wesleyan for a period of months. Um, you know, didn't contribute significantly to the character of the community. And over the, you know, objection of, of a, you know, a vocal minority, the decision was made to name the new school that's replacing it after, uh, after a family called the Beeman family, which was one of the founding families of Middletown in many ways, and sort of patriarch of the family. Jehiel Beeman was a founder of a, a black church in Middletown that uh, continues to operate today, um, was a very prominent abolitionist in, in his time, um, and the whole Beeman family were, were civil rights leaders um, prior to what we now think of as the civil rights era, uh, but during the abolitionist movement were leaders and, and descendants of theirs went on to be leaders in the civil rights movement and, and pursuing racial justice in, in Middletown. And you know, that's just I bring that up as just an example of not, not, nec- not that it's patting ourselves on the back for for naming it, naming a building after the right person, but more so the willingness um, and the eagerness, I think, for people in the community to have those conversations, and you know, not for the sake of the outcome. So you know, the the, the right name on the building or the right statue in the right location or what ha- what have you, but the reckoning itself and the shared understanding among young people, older people, uh, and everybody uh, who is a part of this community uh, about what the history looks like. Um and about what the future should look like, um, and we've put together, you know, in the in the wake of what we've been seeing uh, over the past year, we um, established a permanent task force in the city to look at racial equity and to make recommendations to the mayor, whoever it is, and to the council and to our state legislators and other people about what the racial climate looks like and about what specific policies we should be adopting and pursuing to make sure that we are in a just community for everybody and it's funny because the idea for the task force grew out of a sort of community-wide survey that was done started in 2017 after the the Charlottesville white supremacist demonstrations uh there were, there were people in middletown at that time who said we should try to get a handle on on what we're doing and what we must be doing in middletown to to make sure that people feel like this is a, a, a safe and just community. And so the the task force is going to take some of the recommendations that came out of that study and try to bring them into, into operational reality. And, and I was talking a, a week or two ago with the, one of the co-chairs of that task force, and she said she had been doing research on what other cities have done with similar task forces. And she said, yeah, I couldn't really find anything because everybody is just starting these up for the first time, and they're starting where we started a few years ago. And so I really am proud of the fact that we are kind of out front on, on this work in a lot of ways. And that's going to make the work harder because there's not as much precedent that we can look to. You know, we have to, again, sort of do our own thing from scratch, but I think that we have, we have such a thoughtful and diverse population um, that I, I'm confident that we're going to get a lot of viewpoints. I'm confident that we're going to get a lot of people who are going to help us, you know, carve forward that path, whatever, whatever it is going to look like. And I think that we've, made a lot of progress um, that I'm proud of in the last few years.
0: That's great. Thank you. And just having the conversations are are important, you know, at, this, at the city level, at the school level. And so it's really great that these these changes are, are, are starting to be implemented and you're seeing a, a culture change. I think that's really, really important to, to see for sure. I know that Lily has a question, too, about being uh, uh, ecologically friendly. Middletown has taken many steps toward being more ecologically friendly. And so far, what initiatives have been most successful in improving sustainability? And what initiatives would you recommend we try to implement in the school setting at Mercy?
1: That's another, another great question and another issue that I think, um, you know, that, that has been a priority for me, has been a priority for our administration. Um, something that I really want, I was actually just meeting yesterday with. Our sort of sustainability. We have a we have a bunch of different city boards. Uh, you know, we have one that focuses on clean energy, another that focuses on conservation of public lands, uh, another that focuses on uh, things like food justice and sustainability around food issues and recycling. And we are are working on setting up a new kind of framework where all of those groups are going to work together through the mayor's office on on some really sort of key overarching initiatives. Um, the council adopted, uh, I think unanimously last year, a, a climate emergency declaration recognizing the climate crisis that we are in as a planet, uh, recognizing that that is going to have an impact on Middletown and on, and on our state, um, and recognizing that we have a role in, in trying to uh, solve that challenge by reducing our own emissions uh, and doing what we can to become a sustainable community. And so that is an issue that for me, this in this year ahead, I am looking forward to hopefully spending a lot more of my time on um, as we sort of hopefully move out of crisis management mode in the immediate term. Climate change is still a crisis, uh, it, it, but it's something that you know, we, we, we know, unlike COVID-19, um, we know what tools we need to be using. It's just a matter of assembling the initiative and the people and the, and the funding and the political will uh, to, to get those things to happen. Um, And so a couple that have been successful that I think we really just need to be building on in the future are things like replacing our, uh, we're in the process right now of replacing all of our streetlights. Uh, with energy-efficient uh, LEDs, um, we have replaced um, some of our municipal vehicle fleet with electric vehicles, and that's something that we want to continue moving in that direction. We are uh, trying. I'm part of a. I'm I'm part of a statewide group on how to increase recycling um, and sort of imp- not just increase but improve recycling practices in the state because uh, recycling, both in terms of just sustain material sustainability, but also in terms of um, the impact that recycling properly has on our, on our waste stream and how much, uh, how much waste we're, we're trucking or taking by train from one place to another. There's all of these uh, you know, ripple effect ramifications um, for how waste is handled in, in cities on sustainability and on the climate. So trying to improve some of our recycling practices is going to be a big initiative. And going forward, I think that you know, the goal that is set out in our climate emergency resolution is carbon neutrality. By 2030, and that means that we're going to have to continue along these lines. We are, uh, in terms of uh, our facilities, we are studying what the cost would be um, and when we can start putting solar on all municipal buildings, uh, solar panels on all the roofs of buildings. If there's if there's an old roof that needs to be replaced, that when it's replaced, that it will get solar installed. We are excited about the possibility of. Doing more with solar, and a lot of this has to go through the state. So, we are trying to work with the state to get approvals to um, be basically a host community for solar energy, where we would be able to set up a solar farm uh, at a location in town and then sell that energy at an affordable rate to ratepayers um, instead of having them rely on fossil fuels or other energy sources. So, um, this is where this is an issue where I think. Local government really can make a big difference. Um, We will always be sort of limited in the scope of what we can do because we don't have the kind of funding resources that the state would have. We don't have the kind of purchasing power that, uh, you know, a larger entity would have. But I think that it is at the local level is a really good place to try some ambitious projects um, at a smaller scale. Because we know we're going to need ambitious projects uh, if we're going to if we're going to if we're going to get a solution to this crisis in in our lifetimes, which is our it's it's our job to figure that out. I, I also think that you know this is the the beauty of something like the Green New Deal is that it is it's a national program. It's a, it, it's funded in some ways at the national level, but it's really about local projects. It's about providing um, the framework and the funding. For us to do these types of things, you know, like work on our riverfront, um, planting trees, making sustainability improvements to buildings, all of these things happen, and the rubber meets the road at the at the local level. And I want to try to sort of be a model community for how much of a difference these local level projects can make, and that we should all be doing them all across the country uh, if we're if we're going to make it out of this uh, out of this crisis. It's
0: great. I mean, it sounds the city is doing so much on that topic. And I know that we at Mercy are trying to do our part too in terms of recycling and then thinking about recycling and thinking about, you know, how could we use solar sometime in the in the future? Things like that are all so important. So it's it's great to hear, you know, we're we're kind of doing our part and our city is doing is doing their part too. It's nice to see how how there's a lot of alignment too between Mercy and with the city because you know we have students coming from so many different municipalities, uh, you know, coming coming to school here every day. And we have several alumni actually with businesses even in downtown Middletown too. So it's nice to think about that economic impact, that circle of mercy that's uh, throughout the city and, and throughout the region too.
1: And I think that there's always, I mean, there's there's historically been that sort of, that sense of a partnership, right? I mean, there's been always a history of involvement between Mercy and Xavier and what is going on in the city. But I think that we are doing more, and and thanks to things like this, and thanks to your leadership, we've been able to formalize that a little bit more. Before it's just alumni and alumnae, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're starting at the, at the student level. I've, one, when, when of the coolest parts of the job is seeing uh, every day the amazing work that's happening in our public schools. But we also have uh, great and, and we're building uh, even better, I think, bridges to our, our private institutions as well. Um, and I think that doing that when you're still in school um, is, is a better place to start it than, uh, than, than down the line. So I think that's, this has been great. Absolutely.
0: So, um, AP Government students, what is something that you've learned in, in class in the recent past that's really kind of struck with struck you?
2: Right now, we are talking about different kinds of media, and um, essentially finding reliable sources for information. Previously, we were talking about factions and interest groups and things of that sort, but we've moved on to um, like news outlets. We're studying. You know, how can we find reliable information?
0: It's, it's important to be informed when you're making a decision, but you also need to know what the source is of that information. That's a, re- a really important thing to know for sure.
3: Um, Jocelyn, what about you? So while the whole election was going on, we really dissected how an election happens, primaries, caucuses. And I thought that was really interesting because growing up, I never knew that there was different like levels to elections and how much your vote really matters. So that's probably my favorite part about it. And also the process of an impeachment and how that works. Cause a lot of people just think an impeachment means like a president straight out of office. So just, you know, really educating ourselves about that.
0: I'd like to ask the mayor one more question. And, um, I would just like to know, you know, now you've 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 been the mayor for a little bit over a year. It's been a it's been a tough year uh, to be to lead to be leading anything, um, of course, because of COVID. But what have you found that's been most inspiring
1: to you? It's a good question. I mean, I think I hate to repeat myself. I mean, I really think that the, the a big part of it has been how people have responded to really challenging circumstances, and there have been there have been instances where people have. Not responded in ways I would have hoped to the circumstances that this year has presented us with. Um, but those are those those stand out because they're so much the exception to the rule. I mean, I think that I've been, I've been really I was told, you know, uh during my one-week transitional period after between the election and when I was sworn in, to expect the unexpected. And that was the biggest message that my predecessor was sort of trying to impart was that. Anything can happen at any time, and it will be your responsibility on some level to to figure it out. Even if it's not the city's job, it's still ultimately on you to make sure that people know what's going on, they have the answers that they're that they're looking for. And that was true, <laughs> you know. I mean, it was it, it was it was not something that any of us could have expected. And what has been inspiring is watching people rise to the occasion. Um, you know, we had I, I will I will just sort of single out our, he's the acting director of health, um, a guy named Kevin Elak, uh, who was, you know, I coming into office didn't think that the health department was going to be like on my daily rotation. I thought that probably I would be talking to the superintendent a lot. I thought that probably I would be talking to the police chief a lot, you know, public works for just, any you know, sidewalks and potholes and all that, all of the ins and outs of local government. Um, I regarded the health department as, you know, something that, They issue birth and death certificates and wedding certificates, and they go and check up on restaurants when they hear that there is a hygiene issue. But in fact, the health department has had a huge role to play in the response to the pandemic. Kevin had been, you know, he had uh, started in the city a few years ago as a sanitarian and had moved up to become what's called the public health manager. Uh, So he was sort of helping run programs around uh, what the health department does in town, but wasn't the director of that department. Um, The director had been in the job for a long time and wasn't as able to sort of keep up with the demands that the pandemic uh, put on him. Um, And so Kevin essentially stepped up into the role of running the department um, without any complaint, uh, you know, just knowing that he had a charge and that he basically took an oath to help keep the city safe. um, And what ended up happening is that the um, director of health retired uh, a few months ago, and uh, made it official that Kevin was going to continue running the show. and And he has just stepped up in in such amazing ways, in ways that you know, again, he probably didn't see himself as uh, as having to as having to play that role, um, but he's been doing it day in and day out um, under challenging circumstances. You know, having to being asked to step up. Um, in a way bigger way, very quickly fr- than based on where he came from. And that's just like I mean, that's a one example of so many um, both within city government and you know the private sector, our business community, our nonprofit providers, everybody has been saying, with few exceptions, has been asking themselves, what can I be doing to help the whole community get through this? Uh, and that has been really inspiring and 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 I, and I don't I think it's kind of cheap to, make the compare, you know, to, to only take satisfaction because of how you're comparing to others. And that's not that's not what I want to suggest that I'm doing at all. But I think that the proof is out there in, in our metrics and in our numbers and in how we have gotten through this, that it's not been without challenges and mistakes and, uh, and, and difficulties. But I think that we have stayed more on our feet um, than a lot of other states and a lot of other cities because we have uh, started from that principle of what can we do to to help each other out? Um, and we've been communicative about that. And we've been, you know, on the ball from from day one. And so I'm inspired, I guess, by seeing people recognize their own ability to make a difference and then actually rising to the occasion. And, and
0: Absolutely. And um, I know, at Mercy High School, we treasure Kevin, as well. (laughs) Um, He's helped us. He's such a wonderful resource um, to have for our school as well. And I think we've seen a lot of examples here too, that have been so inspiring of people in our community um, helping others. And it's just, it's just so important. Here at Mercy High School, we're really happy to be a part of the city and we're happy to be located in the city. And Mayor Florsheim, thank you so much for your time and your insights today. And to Elena and Lily and Jocelyn. You are also very inspiring, and who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you someday as mayor of some city. Who who knows? I think the potential the potential is limitless for you. And I want to. I am
1: eventually you. going to need somebody to relieve me, so <laughs> live in town.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be perfect. And uh, thank you to all the listeners uh, of our podcast today as well. I, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, listening as much as I've been uh, enjoying just being a part of this discussion. So thank you everyone. Have a great day.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Tiger Talk podcast. Listen to the latest episodes at mercyhigh.com or subscribe to get the latest podcasts delivered to your device, either at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify.